Chiacaruni. Check Chiacaruni. Um, hello. Hello. This is Phil May here, as always, on uh, PH5, the music podcast. Uh, the music podcast. I hope in your mind you uh, imagined all the capital letters which comprised the word the just then. A big a T, a big H, and a big E. Uh, it's not there. I'm, I'm sure there are other ones. Um, one of many. Uh, ha- hello, how are we? It is May. Crazy, you know? Because, uh, folks, my last name is May. It's like, uh, hello, John September. You know, like, hello, Chris June. Um, actually, funny side note. I have an aunt named June. So, her name is June May. That's just ridiculous, you know? Like, come on. Chill with the month names, family. Um, my birthday's also in May. When I was young, I used to, uh... You remember, like, remember blackboards in, uh, like, school? So, in elementary school, whenever it was my birthday, you remember you would always have, like, the date written on the board? And, uh, like, part of... Maybe my lived experience wasn't the exact same as everyone else's. Weird, weird concept to wrap my head around. But for me, anyway, you'd start the day off and there'd be, like, a blackboard. And you'd write down the day's date and you'd do some, like, math or whatever. Uh, so on the days that it was my birthday, which is May 9th, by the way, I would go up to the blackboard and, uh, I would... I would write an E at the end of May on that day. Just my little way of like stamping myself on the day. Pretty cool stuff, huh? This is what you came for. Baby, this is what you came for. Um, in reference to me talking about uh, elementary school hijinks. So, we're gonna talk about April. I, you probably know that because we talked about March last month. Um, April was, it was a really busy month for me. I was uh, pretty on the go. So, I really had to kind of squeeze in my music listening when and where I could. But uh, there were some great albums, actually. Actually, you know what? There were like some pretty great albums last month. Uh, And we're going to talk about them today. Sound good to you? Good. Let's get started then. Welcome to PH5, episode, well, season two, episode four. Uh, I don't know, that's like, ep- we're we're up there now. We're, we're high up there now on episodes. Uh, probably like 14 or like, maybe like 15. Maybe this is episode 15. No, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, anyway, let's get started. So, PH5, thank you for joining me, as always. Um... Shit, I was gonna do a tagline, uh, for my friend, uh, I don't know, something about, like, it heals you for flying. Shouts out, Veronica. There you go. Okay, let's get into it. PH5. Thank you so much. Coffee swig time. And we'll do this. Okie dokie! So, coming in at number five, four... April 2022, we have the debut record from Whatever the Weather, which is a new moniker by Lorraine James. So, Lorraine James had her uh, eponymous record out last year, and uh, it it got a lot of hype, rightfully so. Um, She's an absolutely fantastic producer. Out of uh, the Isles over there in, in in Europe, the the British Isles, and uh, her her kind of eponymous record that came out last year. Sorry for saying eponymous so much, but it really is a fantastic word that I recommend saying out loud at least a few times a day, just to really get a little bit of zest out of life. 
Anyway, the eponymous Lorraine James record came out and got a ton, tons of well-deserved hype. Uh, she's a fantastic producer and what she was kind of doing, playing in the kind of clubby IDM-esque world was uh, really unique and uh, a breath of fresh air into the scene for sure. So she's adapted this new moniker, Whatever the Weather, and it's, it's a little bit more ambient leaning than the kind of up-tempo nature of uh, her kind of self-titled work. What do, what do you call it like like when it's like your own name, you know, not uh, eponymous. Can you say eponymous work? Am I just coming up with new excuses to say eponymous? Probably. Anyway, so this new moniker is again a little bit more ambient leaning, a little bit more uh I'd say like texturally focused than uh her previous efforts. All of the tracks are named after various temperatures um, in ways that kind of play into your expectations in ways that also kind of subvert your expectations. For example, like some of the higher tempo tracks being, you know, lower degree temperatures and uh, vice versa. And it's an interesting take on ambient music. Uh, she definitely isn't afraid to apply beats and rhythms into her ambient. Um, a lot of kind of twitchy songs across the board here, but mostly it, it, it delves in soft, smooth textures. There are a few kind of uh, almost like house piano minus the beat uh, tracks that happen here. And overall, it's a really rewarding listen, and it, it really goes to show kind of the breadth of Lorraine's talent and what she's capable of doing. Um, the fact that she was able to release this record and the eponymous record last year just shows that she's not willing to branch into new territory and she's willing to do it in a quality manner as well. It's not just like kind of experimenting and tinkering with new sounds to see how it goes. Uh, she clearly put a lot of thought and effort into this Whatever the Weather album, and uh, there's a, it's, it's a very good study of what ambient music can be and has been over the past 20 years or so. I always, I'm just a big ambient music fan because, like, life is hard, you know? And I, I really believe in the concept of, like, frequencies actually having healing powers on your brain um i i used to uh back in the day i i, I was really big on creating because i i've had sleeping problems my whole life i was into creating what i call specifically sleep music where um i i, I did some research into different frequencies and, and how they affected different parts of your brain and I would kind of make music for myself to help me fall asleep that specifically integrated these uh, sleep frequencies if you will um, and, and I, there's something similar going on here and I'll touch, a, touch on it a little bit later too with another record that we're going to be talking about today but I, I believe in ambient music's power to heal and we talked about this a little bit last year, actually, with John Hopkins, uh, his album, what was it, like, Music for a Psychedelic Healing. It all kind of ties in, and I know it's not a unique or original idea, but there really is a power in tone. And, I mean, we, we, we see it throughout history. We, you know, like, music has always been an important part of human history and, and that's a large reason because of it because it does have these healing powers and ambient music specifically almost feels like music designed to heal so this new whatever the whatever the weather record uh, feels designed to heal and it, it successfully does that so coming in at number five 
is the new Lorraine James project, Whatever the Weather, eponymous. That means that uh, the album's also called Whatever the Weather. Coming in at number four, we have Keep This Be The Way by Helms Ali. So this is an interesting band and have been an interesting band for a long time. Um, kind of like a weird little throwback. Uh, on like maybe the first or second episode of PH5, I explained the origin of this podcast and how it came from my time um, as a co-editor at a music blog based out of Seattle back in the day where I would do my Phil's Five um, monthly roundups of the albums that have come out similar to what I'm doing here. And uh, apart from doing that and writing just kind of straight up album reviews, I did a lot of interviews. And one of the artists that I interviewed back in the day was the lead guy from Helm's Elite. And I remember from this interview having just a great conversation with the guy, um, Benjamin Varelian. Varelian, not Varelian. I'm just adding eyes where they're unnecessary to be. And he really talked about the synergy of the group. So it's him um, and two women named Dana and Hozoji, I probably said that wrong. I deeply apologize if so. Um, but uh, the main takeaway from the interview was what a kind of democratic process the writing and recording and all that of Helms Lee's music is. So they make a very unique, almost like irreverent version of, uh, geez heavy music, I wouldn't even really know how else to describe it, that incorporates influences from all over, like Melvins-esque, like dream pop, uh, it, it kind of sounds from all over the place, but they all, it, it all manages to sound very distinctly Helmsley, and I, I, I interviewed them kind of right off the release of, I'd say their biggest record to date, Sleepwalking Sailors, Bit of a nautical theme here, huh? Um, and yeah, again, the biggest takeaway that I took from that interview was that the writing process for Helms Ali's music is, is very democratic and very equally shared amongst all three of these members. And I think since Sleepwalking Sailors, this newest record is easily their best and the biggest testament to that particular writing process. Uh, the songs all feature each member kind of equally doing their thing. Uh, all three of them take on vocal duties and it, it really adds for this really fascinating contrast in the different sounds and moods that you hear across the album. Uh, there's really no such thing as a straightforward song in the Helms Elite universe. Uh, they have such a unique songwriting style that, again, I think is really inspired by their democratic approach to writing the music. And all the songs sound kind of like something that you've heard before, but also kind of nothing like what you've heard before. Uh, these, this is a band that has like a deep-rooted history in the underground scene. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Ben Varellen is the brother of Dave Varellen, who used to be in Botch. And so there's, there's connections there. There's lots of deep connections to the underground world. And you can tell that this is a band that has been making music either together or as a part of something else for a, a very long time. And because of that, they've been able to really master their style, this really unique 
voice that they have as a band. And this is definitely, I would say anyway, their best to date. Uh, they've always kind of hung around on the fringes of kind of underground rock music, and I don't suspect this will push them any further into the limelight. Uh, they have their own distinct style, and they seem very comfortable existing within that style, so I don't expect much will change there. But, yeah, I think this is definitely their best encapsulation of what they can achieve and do as a band to date. So, if you're looking for really unique, interesting, catchy, heavy, beautiful music, this new Helmsley music is absolutely for you. So, coming in at number four is Keep This Be The Way by Helmsley. And coming in at number three, we have LP8 by Kelly Lee Owens. Uh, this is only her third LP. What the fuck, Kelly? After two comes three. So where did this eight come from? Uh, this isn't rhetorical. I don't actually know. Um, so if someone could just, like, reach out to her and let her know that I'm really curious about that, that'd be amazing. Anyway, quick coffee swig. Oh shit, I didn't do ridiculous made-up genres of the day for the previous two albums. My bad. Okay, um... Sorry, Kelly, we'll get to you, but let, let me just go back for a hot sec, okay? So, uh, ha, 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 ha. whatever the weather, the ridiculous made-up genre of the day for that album will be barometer ambient. <laughs> uh, okay, sure. And the ridiculous made-up genre of the day for the Helms Lee record will be... Ooh. Okay, we're gonna come back to that one, because I really don't know. Um... So... Kelly... Kelly Lee Owens, this is her third, um, full-length record. She got a lot of acclaim off her first one, which was also eponymous back in the day and in her song which was her second record came out uh came out in 2020 i remember actually had this great memory of um it's my one friend's birthday this guy tom and uh just playing basketball at the park at night with him it was kind of raining and uh we were listening to the the inner song uh the kelly lee owens record it's just such a vibe. So I've, I've been a fan of her, you know, kind of since her inception in, in the music scene. And she's always played this uh, kind of healthy diet of ambient and techno music. Uh, which is, you know, pretty straightforward. But she brought a pretty unique voice to it where, uh, you know, she brings a lot of her feminine spirit to the music. Uh, like, techno really has kind of a cold, hard, you know, bro connotation a lot of the time. And, you know, that's reflected in a lot of the techno that is popular and that you hear a lot. But she managed to bring a kind of softness to the genre, which I think was really appealing and really refreshing. She also definitely... Like, she has a great voice that she brings out every now and then, and she, she has a, an ear for pop songwriting. Uh, and she would always display that kind of very sparingly and tastefully. Maybe having one or two songs per record that kind of spoke to her popular inclinations. And like, you know, have having actual like hooks in the songs itself. So she's always had a really cool, unique approach. 
Um, her records have always, like the cover arts have always been this kind of grayscale, black and white. And the music's very much the same. Um, kind of bleached out, uh, not necessarily dark, but gray, if that makes sense. You know, kind of this place in between darkness and light. And that's really where she operates the best. Really similar to Andy Stott, but again, kind of a, a more, um, you know, a more feminine version of the kind of music that Andy Stott would bring to the table. So, on her latest record, uh, I feel like this one was kind of released and uh, announced with a little bit less fanfare around it than her previous records. Um... I don't really understand why, because I actually think this is probably her best one yet. So, this one really sees her in full mastery of the kind of production environment that she tries to create with all of her releases. Um, she's very minimal in her approach to things, and, and that's kind of where... You know, you've always gotten this kind of ambient techno, you know? Not a whole lot going on, um, but in, in, in a spare kind of decisive way, you know? No extraneous sounds or movement, just everything is exactly kind of where it needs to be and when it needs to be there. Um, and this one kind of sees her leaning as far away from traditional techno tendencies uh, as possible. So, while yes, a lot of the music on this album incorporates what you would describe as beats, they aren't necessarily, you know, four on the floor or beats that inspire rhythm and, and, and dancing. They're kind of beats that exist merely to add almost to the sound design of the songs. So I would say for this album, I would even remove the techno part of the ambient techno entirely. And it is a lot more just a straight up ambient record than what we are used to hearing from her. Now, that doesn't mean that it's the kind of record that just kind of fades away into the background. Um, just because there's kind of this lack of propulsion um, doesn't mean that she is unable to capture your attention and, and really hold your attention. She uses this idea of beats in a really interesting, different way. Um, almost to make you uncomfortable, in a sense. Uh, I talked before about kind of the healing nature of ambient music. Um, but I, I've also talked in previous podcasts about artists like uh, Huerco S and Pendant, who make this kind of ambient music not to exist as background music, but to really stir you and really capture your intention and, and keep you engaged with it. And that's what Kelly's doing on this record as well. Um, yeah, there, there are moments and sections where uh, it, it does kind of fade into bliss out, almost meditative territory. Um, I see the kind of centerpiece of the record, a song called Olga. Uh, but the record begins and ends with Two songs that almost strive to make you uncomfortable in a way through really excellent use of uh, bass and bass drum. So the bass in the first song is really overwhelming. Um, it, it really fills the room up. And the kind of beat behind this overwhelming bass is, is just just not rhythmic enough that it just serves to kind of create tension 
And the song's called Release, so I mean, it kind of makes sense, you know, tension and release the tension. But on the last song, she employs really similar effects and it creates, again, the same kind of tension, but she's saying in the song as well, like, this is a, this is a wake-up call, this is a call to arms or, or something like that. So on this album, it's, it's almost Kelly making ambient music political in a way. It's, it's ambient music that's not necessarily aiming to put you to sleep, but it's ambient music that's serving to wake you up and be engaged with it and, and, and feel it to the best that you can. She doesn't really specify like what we're being woken up from and, and what the wake-up call is for, necessarily. But you can really tell how urgent it feels in that moment. So, to be able to use ambient music as something urgent and something that exists as a, a call to action is really, really unique and different and uh, kind of like a completely new way of approaching the idea of ambient music. So, in that sense, I think that this is her most successful effort to date. You know, she doesn't really feel like she needs to play around in the traditional concepts of ambient techno anymore, and she's kind of playing in her completely, you know, her own field entirely. Uh, her production has never gotten better, her mixing is fantastic, the sound design is wonderful, and the whole album is just kind of an experience from beginning to end. So, coming in at number three for the week, we have Kelly Lee Owens, LP8. Even though it's only her third. Folks, it's time for the mentions. These are the mentions. Okay, so. Oh, um. Wow, I'm really bad at this. Ridiculous, made-up genre of the day for Kelly Lee Owens is gonna be wake-up ambient. Bet that's never been used before. So, anyway, um, the mentions. You know how it works. I've explained it a hundred times. Let's just get into it. So, the dishonorable mention for the month of April, 2022, is the new future record, I Never Liked You. What are you referring to me and my thoughts towards this album? Uh, so, this is so frustrating because one time, this, this is how much of a future fan I guess I was. Maybe not so much anymore. But at one time, like a year ago, two years ago, whenever the Versus thing was really popular, I remember there was this whole discussion about, like, who could take on Jay-Z, you know? And my answer, and I got just lambasted for this opinion, but my answer to that question was future. Now hear me out, okay? This guy may quite literally have a hundred hits. Like, it is absolutely insane if you go back to the early 2000s up until, you know, geez, I guess even last year, just how many club anthems this guy has produced. It is nuts. Like, it's dozens and dozens and dozens. And that's what's really defined Future over the course of his career is his consistency, for better or for worse. Um, I mean, he had a stretch, that absolutely legendary stretch, where, you know, it was, it was just after Honest came out, which wasn't exactly what people were expecting it to be. 
but honestly kind of underrated. Um, and he went into that crazy stretch of records where it was Monster and Beast Mode and 56 Nights and Dirty Sprite 2. Where it was almost clear at that time he was the best rapper on the planet. And he was producing the best music at such a high clip that it was crazy. And that's the run that, you know, a lot of people talk about. A lot of people, you know, say he's legendary for future, etc, etc. But I would even go further. I mean, his records after that were still also absolutely sensational, you know? Evil, which has to be his most underrated record. Um... 11 songs. That's it. There's only 11 songs and every single one of them is amazing. Um, the Purple Rain mixtape, again, full of great tunes. Um, and then, you know, he went into that era where he released his self-titled, <laughs> his eponymous, if you will, um, his eponymous record and then Hendrix the week after. Both really, really great albums. So we know that this guy is capable of making really, really good music um, and making a lot of really good music. You know, that's kind of been his thing too, is you're getting new music every few months from this guy and you could reliably say that about 75% of every project he was releasing was really high quality stuff. Um, we haven't seen that future in a long time, so upon listening to this latest record, I, I started really thinking about the past batch of future albums. Um, and other than Beast Mode 2, which I believe came out in 2018, um, which is amazing, by the way, he kind of hasn't really released anything good in a long time. Um, this record, not good, really not good, um, his last one, what was it, uh, Life is Good, I think was album, boring, you know, unremarkable, there was that absolutely atrocious collaboration record with Lil Uzi, which is just a, a pockmark on both their discographies, it's how bad it is, um, the, what was it, The Wizard, which was not good, like, it's been a long time, really, since we've gotten quality future albums, but I've stuck to it, it's always, I've always made a point to check for them once they've been out, because, again, in the past, this guy had such an amazing track record for releasing really good shit, consistently, that it's always kind of been like, okay, you know, maybe this will be the record where he comes back, or this will be the one where it's good again. Um, and I, I think as of this new album, I've officially lost hope. Uh, this is dull, uninspired, boring. I mean, this guy's 38 years old now, and there's a song on here called, like, to get a nut or something like it's just so bland and immature and he's just he's just rapping about the same things that he's been rapping about for like a decade now you know and like you you look back on beast mode 2 which was again like a late career highlight from him and you know he's capable of making good music and you know he's capable of making like mature music like red light is one of the best ever future songs and it really shows this more mature side of him um you know it almost sounds like a blues song rather than a rap song but instead of going down that path he's just kind of decided to go right back down the same old watered down trap that he's been making for the past few years and i gotta say as of now i'm officially no longer checking for future like i'm i'm officially over it you know, man, you had a legendary stretch for like basically a decade, but man, like you're kind of old and washed. And that's just what it is. You know, there's a way to make compelling rap music as an older artist. Like, look at Jay Z's 444. You know, um, look at that. Uh, tribe record that came out a few years ago like it, it's very possible 
but he just doesn't seem to be interested in doing anything other than what he's been doing forever now. So, hey man, if you're not interested in trying, I'm not either, alright? So, coming in at the dishonorable mention is Future I Never Liked You. Okay, coming in at the mention for the month. So, we have It's Almost Dry by Pusha T. So, I mean, you gotta give it up for Push. Like, you know exactly what you were gonna get with this record, and he delivered. <laughs> like, you can't disparage him for that. Um, I like the album. I think it's decent enough. I don't think it's necessarily anything special. Um, but unlike someone like Future, for example, who keeps making the same music to increasingly diminishing returns, uh, Push being so committed to the quality of his work means that he can also kind of make the same music over and over again, but it, it, it doesn't necessarily get old or, or get boring. He, he always manages to find new ways to make songs about selling cocaine interesting. But you can kind of tell that that's maybe getting a little bit stale and a little bit old on this record. So while I definitely enjoy it, I, it definitely isn't doing the same thing for me as say Daytona was back when that was released. Um, back during those Good Music Wyoming sessions. But, the one reason I wanted to highlight it and kind of talk about it on this podcast is because on the last song the album, we have something that I think many rap fans never really expected we were going to get. And that is Eclipse Reunion. And all of this, all of this started with clips, really. I mean, in a lot of ways, you could trace Kanye and good music success all the way back to the groundbreaking work that Clips was doing back in the early 2000s. Um, if you don't know, Clips is the duo of Push and his brother who went by Malice, okay? So it was Pusha T and Malice. Now, what happened with Clips was, um, for, something happened, I don't know, but Malice got really religious, he changed his name to No Malice, and I, 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 I guess he just was no longer interested in the whole coke rap thing. Fair enough, you know? It's kind of hard to, uh, be preaching on one hand and then, you know whipping up the yam in another uh so why this particular record is interesting is the last song features Pusha T and Malice so not no Malice he's dropped the no from his name again and he's back on this song alongside Push back to rapping about his past days of being in the drug trade and oh my god it is so nice to hear these two guys on a song together again uh the chemistry between the two is just so palpable i mean like they're literally brothers um and i mean again to hear them on a pharrell beat which you know the neptunes did produce all the clips music back in the day it's just it's really glorious to behold and really kind of harkens back to those glory days of clips so the reason why i wanted to talk about it this week is because they're strongly hinting at eclipse reunion on this song i mean it literally is eclipse reunion on the song but going the extra mile and like actually having a full-blown clips reunion with the full-blown new clips album and I think that's exactly what Pusha T needs right now at this stage in his career to kind of push himself, haha, to be creative again and, 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 and 
try new things and really push himself to be the best that he can be is by reigniting the kind of friendly rivalry with his brother on the songs. So I'm really hoping and praying that this isn't just a one-off and that we're going to get a full-blown Clips reunion because if this last song in this record, don't know what it's called, admittedly, I forget, uh, but if it's any indication, uh, that chemistry is still there and still stronger than ever, and I can see an absolutely incredible project coming from these two, if they decide to go that route. So, the mention for the month of April is Pusha T, It's Almost Dry. And the honorable mention for the month of April 2022 is the Autumn in the Water EP by A Sky So Black. So this is just the band's second EP. Uh, They haven't even released a full length yet, but I think the level of promise for these guys is extremely high. the first EP was heavier and had harsh vocals, which they've completely done away with on this new record. And instead, instead of getting your kind of, you know, shoegaze-inspired post-hardcore record, um, which there seem to be a million of these days, they really just lean into the heavy shoegaze sound and let it kind of take them over entirely. And as a result, you get just just four songs, but four songs that show a lot of promise for a young and brand new band. Um, for those that don't know, I am a Deftones fanatic. It's my favorite band. Uh, what they do to me is perfect. It's the ideal form of what music should be in my eyes. And this record has Deftones fingerprints all over it. To the point where the third song in the record, uh, Tell by Touch, is basically a complete ripoff of a Deftones song. But the thing is, if you're gonna rip off any band, it might as well be the best band in the world, right? And they do a damn good job of ripping them off. So, they have the sh- the songwriting chops, they have the production chops, they-, they know the sound that they're going for, they know how to achieve it. I am really, really excited to see when and if this band does release a full-length record, because I think it's going to be something really, really special. So, honorable mention for the month of April is the Autumn in the Water EP by A Sky So Black. These are the mentions. Folks, we might actually manage to keep this under an hour today. Wouldn't that be something else? Precision? Concise? Uh, we'll see though. I mean, anything can happen. I don't really... I just kind of open my mouth and hope for the best, so... Maybe what comes out of it will be short. Maybe what comes out of it will be long. Never know. We'll have to wait and see. So, coming in at number two for the month of April is This Bright and Beautiful World by Grey Haven. Uh, I never heard of these guys before, to be honest with you. They got recommended on a... One of the many music blogs that I frequent. And, uh, I mean, the description kind of checked all the marks for me. You know, influences like Dillinger Escape Plan, Every Time I Die, Glassjaw. I was like, okay, well, those are three of my all-time favorite bands. I'm sure I can check that out. And fortunately enough, this record more than lives up to... uh, their descriptions and and their influences. So, in a way, this record really represents closure to me. 
Let me explain. So last year, Every Time I Die released, uh, I don't know, like their seventh or eighth or something. They had a lot of albums. Um, record called Radical. And I, I, I liked it. I, I, I didn't love it. I, I liked it. I think it ended up on like number three of the month or something for one of the months last year. But it, it just didn't really leave an impression on me the way that their previous records had. Not because it was any less good, per se, but, you know, I just felt like maybe I'd kind of finally reached the point where I was maybe a little bit over the every time I die thing. And then, a few months later, they broke up in maybe the messiest imaginable fashion <laughs> like like social media pointing fingers just like just like a like imagine what a messy band breakup looks like in the modern age and it is exactly what happened with these guys and it was so so sad because this is a band that had been together for like 20 years and really had produced like in my opinion, the best metalcore music that, that had ever been made, you know? Like, they were the metalcore band, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, for them to release this album that I just kind of was okay with, and then for them to break up in just the most miserable, embarrassing fashion, kind of a piss-poor way to end the whole Every Time I Die chapter of my life. This new album is, like, this album would not exist without Every Time I Die. Like, the influence of that band on Greyhaven's music is just insane. Like, like you want to hear an example of how one band can influence another? Like, <laughs> like this is literally, like, you cannot get a better example of what that would look like than uh, Every Time I Die in Greyhaven. But I like this album a lot more than Radical. It's just... The the songwriting on this is, is amazing. And they really understand that if you really want to release a quality record, you need to have equal amounts of, you know, melody and brutality. And they really, really do a great job of achieving that on this album without kind of veering into corny territory. Um, it really does kind of sound like the best record that Every Time I Die never made. Um, with, with influences from other bands as well, like, for sure. Um, I hear a lot of Dillinger Escape Plan on this with kind of the... Uh, mathy freakout sections and uh the way that the vocalist is able to like be melodic while also screaming um the way that greg pucciato was so good at doing still is so good at doing but it, it really feels like this is the record i almost wish radical was because it feels like this would have been a satisfying conclusion to every time I die story in my life. And listen, I, I know that that band is a lot more than just my relation to them, of course. There, there's so much that they went through and, and, you know, are probably still going through. And I know Radical was a great record that, you know, meant a lot to a lot of other people. And a lot of people were saying it was their best ever and all this kind of stuff. But I just didn't have that connection to it. But I feel really connected to this album, and in a way, it almost, you know, it, it, it feels like closure to me to hear music that is so similar to Every Time I Die, and, and, and feel the connection to it the way that I used to feel connected to Every Time I Die's music back in the day. So, thank you, Greyhaven, for you know, allowing me to 
have this closure with every time I die because I really I, I didn't realize how much I needed it until I heard this and realized kind of how unsatisfied I was with how they ended and how my relationship with them ended and if it took a third party to kind of reconcile all that then whatever whatever works um, but shout out to them because even outside of any weird baggage issues that I have um, it's just a really 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 good um, southern metalcore record the likes of which you know we, again we haven't heard since those earlier every time I die records when southern metalcore was like the biggest thing maybe this record will inspire that wave to start all over again maybe maybe not I don't know but regardless absolutely fantastic record so coming in at number two is this bright and beautiful world by Greyhaven ridiculous made-up genre of the day hmm southern metalcore that's right it's not made up but that's what this is so deal with it And coming in at number one, we have Billy Woods and Ethiopies. So, Billy Woods is one half of Armand Hammer, who has been featured on this podcast uh, once or twice before with their record Haram that came out last year. Great record. Uh, that was the record where I kind of went on the whole tangent about psychedelic music and like how we have psychedelic rock. Like, you know, we can start applying that specific tag to rap and hip hop as well. And I, I called that record psychedelic rap. And I really liked it, but kind of one of my issues with it, not even an issue with it, but something that I really noticed about it was. Um, like because of how kind of psychedelic and off-kilter it was, it had a lot of like free-flowing parts and, and a lot of like drifting and um, it was easy to kind of get lost in the haze of that record. Uh, that is absolutely not the case with this new Billy Woods record. This album feels hyper-focused and it feels like an extremely deliberate work of art. Um, this is the kind of album where you put it on, you sit down, you find the lyrics wherever you can, and you just sit there and you listen, because the pictures that Billy Woods is able to paint are just outstanding and, and really, really visceral, really vivid, and the beats that accompany it, um again, are just kind of spare and weird enough to maintain your attention, but they never take away from the most important part, which is the rapping and the lyrics and just the overall mood of this entire album. It, it has the feel of a magnum opus, for sure. So Billy has been working in the underground rap scene in New York for a long time now probably close to 15 years and his uh, label Backwood Studio has been slowly but surely gaining a lot of momentum um, over the past few years again with all the releases of Armand Hammer and all the associated acts and just generally that kind of like dusty underground New York rap has really come into uh, the public eye over the past few years as well with um, what with Griselda getting a ton of popularity and uh, a kind of weird uh, New York rap scene with Standing on the Corner and Navy Blue and Mike and guys like that and their association with Earl Sweatshirt just kind of bringing them all into prominence. But to me, this is the, this is the record for this whole scene. Um, across it, 
Billy tells these kind of fables and, and, and these these tales uh, that really mix the realist the realism of life, you know, in, in the underground world of New York, um, and mixing them in with kind of mythology and, and African history and just like references to ecological phenomenons and it just has such a mastery of metaphor that is, is really rarely seen um again like this is rap that you almost want to like submit to like a literary circle and spend time analyzing everything that he's saying and, and picking apart what he used to do in high school that thing where you like take a and it like annotation is that it you know where you like have a poem or whatever and you'd like take every piece like this is a simile that means this this is a metaphor that means this blah 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 like this is the kind of album that really screams for the listener to do that um don't get me wrong it's really easy to enjoy passively as well again uh Billy just sounds great. Um, the confidence in his voice mixed with the absolutely impeccable production across the record um, is so good that you don't really need to, you know, get out your dictionary and encyclopedia to really enjoy it. But if you really want to really want to enjoy it to the fullest extent, like I would suggest doing that. Um, it's not just Billy though, like he employs a lot of guests on this album and he must have said something to everyone just being like, listen, I need you all to bring it the best that you can because this album is really special and important to me because all the guest features across this album just absolutely kill it and are on the top of their game for every feature. Um, you've got guys like Elucid, who is the other half of Armand Hammer, um, you know, underground legends like LP making an appearance, um, notoriously shifty guys like Despot pops up for a verse, and it doesn't matter who they are, they all kind of have this connection to the underground rap scene in New York, and they all bring their A-game, they all bring their absolute best, and while this is a Billy Woods record for sure, it almost feels like the magnum opus of the entire scene. Like, it feels like everyone came together to make the best work that they possibly could. And again, I have love and appreciation for Armand Hammer and what they do. Uh, but, you know, this record is just out of this world. It's on a whole new level. And I, th I think Billy made a classic with this one, personally speaking. So, coming in at number one, we have Billy Woods with Ethiopies. Didn't quite come under 60 minutes this week, folks, but we're, we're close. We did okay. We did okay. Um, before we kind of end, I just want to take a quick second to, um, acknowledge a few days ago, one of my favorite drummers of all time passed away, uh, Gabe Serbian. He played in The Locust, he played in Cattle Decapitation, he played in Holy Molar. He played in so many of these amazing kind of freak core acts back in the day. And him passing is really sad. He was very young. I think he was only 44 or so. And he leaves behind a wife and children and um, a lot of friends and bandmates that I've seen the pouring out of stories and support for him over the past few days and it's uh it's been really rough to see so just wanted to give a quick mention um rest in peace gabe 
and uh, you know, thank you for helping me reconfigure my idea of what drumming really could be. Anyway, thank you to everyone once again for joining on this month's episode of PH5. Uh, next month we will talk about May. <laughs> Sound good? Good. Everyone, have a great day. Have a great night. Have a great morning. Peace and love to you all. This is Phil, PH5. Checking out.